0: Hi everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development with our Leaders podcast here with Dr. Pauly, a best-selling author, COO of Brett DeNovi International. Dr. Pauly, great to have you with us.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm excited to be here, Craig. Uh, you know, I, I love talking about leadership and all things uh, helping people help other people become better. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here.
0: You do training and uh, virtual training and development with a a range of different people. I'd love for you to share with everybody what you're doing now with your various roles and your priorities.
1: Yeah, uh, so I've been very fortunate. Back in 2002, I stumbled across this thing called Applied Behavior Analysis, which is the science of human behavior. And uh, it's it's primarily used for working with people with disabilities. And thank goodness it's there because it's very helpful for them. But the thing is, the science can be used anywhere because it's, it has to do with behavior. And, uh, you know, leadership's all about behavior. You know, the measure of a leader can be found in the behavior of the followers. And so, uh, you know, you have to recognize your own behavior, the impact of your behavior on others, and the impact of others' behaviors on, on, on yourself. So I've been able to apply, uh, personally apply, uh, obviously, as a parent, um, but also as a professional mixed martial arts coach. And it's been very successful. I've had the heavyweight champion in the world and multiple champions along the way. Also I've been able to use it to help turn around failing schools. We have schools over here in high poverty and uh, you know, they had, they they have a lot of challenges. So able to apply those principles there. And uh, I've also created a couple of leadership. We have a certification like leadership certification over here for in, within different States, if uh, for aspiring school principals or uh, school leaders. And uh, I have a a couple of uh, courses online, that help uh them to pass uh pass their certification course so um you know and everything i do i always have on a behavioral lens and uh, i really enjoy uh using the science not only to help people but teaching people to use science for themselves uh to again help themselves and help others
0: that's fascinating just before we um started recording you were discussing schooling and education and some of the challenges there. And why don't you share some of your thoughts about where education's at right now and how we need to change?
1: Oh, yeah, thanks. I, I, I've, I, if anybody, you know, is a YouTuber, I, I actually did a video on this. It's, it's a little bit lengthy. It's hard to keep people's attention these days. Um, I don't know if I would sit for the whole thing. It's about 15, 20 minute video. It's called The uh, Shame of American Education, the largest uh, research you've probably never heard of. And back in, from 1968 to 1978, uh, they, in, in, in the United States, they conducted the largest research uh, 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 ever had. And it was, uh, it was a finding out what the best instruction was uh, for, uh, for students. They, 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 I forget how many. It's, it's been a second since I've done the video. But they, they, they took a look at 20 different, I think, uh, instructional practices, and there was one that stood above, not even close, not even the ballpark, head and shoulders above the others, and it's called direct instruction and direct instruction is is rooted in the science of human behavior so it becomes like the behaviorist first constructivist kind of argument and um it it uh, it's it just incredible and it kind of got buried along the way i you know I think people are just used to doing it one way and and um you know, it, it's it's a shame because we have a lot of students over here that struggle. And so, um, you know, part of it is the way that our teachers are teaching. I believe there's a better way to teach. But another big piece of it is the way that our educators our teachers and school leaders are being taught. And so uh, i make this analogy. And I'm not sure how it is in New Zealand. But over, over here, uh, we have a lot of teachers are coming into the field and they're out of field. So they're like it's a second career for them. And they come into the schools and all they have to do is pass a, a certification test and they are put in the school. And that's not a measure of your ability to teach. Teaching is quite complex. And so they're thrown in there and they're literally learning on the job at the expense of themselves, at the expense of the students, which most importantly, um, at the expense of taxpayers. And, uh, and teachers in high poverty schools, uh, they, they, they're actually – We have about a 50% uh, attrition rate, which is not good at all. And so, uh, and the same thing with leaders. Leaders are also suffering as well. And it's usually a lot to have to do with our schools that are in high poverty because they have, there's a lot of challenges in there. And so if you, if we go back and we look to even the teachers and the leaders that come in the field, they're getting, in my opinion, far too much theory and uh, very little, rehearsal and feedback for behaviors associated with good instruction and behaviors associated with good leadership. You can't learn leadership or teaching just from a book. You can learn what to do, what we would call an antecedent strategy in the science of human behavior, but antecedent strategies are intended to get behavior going. If you are going to keep it going, what we're talking about is developing habits, and we need teachers and school leaders to go into the schools practicing good habits i mean in, in the research that i've read uh, uh and it's, it's been quite quite a few uh, I, i'm finding that school leaders can impact student achievement over here by by uh more than 25 percent. that's just one person and so uh when when all you have to do is go in there and receive theory on leadership and then go into the school and practice it's like me telling my fighter how to fight giving him or her the theory of fighting and then throwing them into the ring or the cage and expecting that they're going to perform well and then using performance evaluations and telling them you need to do this or you need to do that while they're taking a beating and expecting that they're going to perform well. And it's very hard to learn under those conditions when you're having all the stimulus coming at you and you're, especially in those schools in particular where there's a lot of behavior problems. And so you're just trying to survive. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to survive, that's not the optimal way to learn. And, and while you're trying to survive, students are suffering, you're suffering. We're actually having a, we did some research on this, too. We, we have mental health issues are growing, not only for students, but for teachers as well. So it's a big struggle. And uh, there, there's something called CABAS, uh Comprehensive Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, and I forget the last word might be in schools, but but they took. Uh, behavior analysis, and they they embedded it from higher education to uh, to working with principals, to the teachers, to even the parents. So it's kind of like a wraparound. And they they they're getting and people can just Google this themselves, look at it for themselves. Two to six times accelerated student achievement. I personally went. To, we have a we have a school in Seattle, uh, Washington called Morningside Academy. And Side academy uses something called direct instruction i was talking about that earlier if you, you just look look up project follow through yourself uh and also precision teaching which is just like really good metrics really agile because it's very frequent and what they work on is building finding like key skills pivotal skills pivotal behaviors what we call those and building those to fluency and so what'll happen is if you learn, if you teach a pivotal behavior, for example, instead of teaching sight words to a child, you teach uh, blends, you know, blended sounds. And you can, if you taught 40 blends, a, a child, a student can learn 500,000 words rather than teaching 500,000 sight words. So it's not just only how you teach, uh, but it's also what you're choosing to teach. Like if, if it's a fighter mind, there's a couple of things I'll teach at the beginning. If I teach them these five or six things, they start to learn automatically the rest of the things, so it 's not only just how you teach but it's what you teach it's building those core things to fluency and if you build those things to fluency, people will just kind of learn on their own and so I don't think they're doing such a hot job and uh, it's not just my opinion too there's research that's been calling for better uh, teacher preparation programs and better you know school leadership programs because a lot of the leaders that I was that I personally observed and I was, I was, I would say more than half were using coercive measures to get their teachers to behave, uh, to perform better. And the problem with coercion is that you get, you win the battle, but you lose the war. People begin operating out of fear. It squashes innovation and you're never going to get people to go above and beyond what we call discretionary effort, right? When you're not looking, all they're going to do is do just enough to get by just enough to avoid getting in trouble and they're going to get very kind of like it's kind of like that reptilian brain kicks in and they can't innovate. They don't see everything else because like I'm going to do this because if I don't do this, the principal's going to yell at me. The assistant principal is going to yell at me. I'm going to get in trouble. And so it's terrible. It's fear based. And I just I just drives me nuts. But it's good people doing bad things and they do it. And the science of human behavior explains this, why they do it, because they see it working for them because when they tried to do it another way and because they, they didn't quite leverage it well, they're like, well, that's not working. But if I pull out the whip and if I put it on them, I'm, I'm going to get what I want. And they're not realizing again, the ripple effect that's having not only with that teacher, but also maybe across the school and how people are perceiving them and how it impacts like, you know, uh, uh, uh teacher retention, and how they move on and schools now, you know, have a mass exodus and there's no organizational memory and it starts from scratch again, the next, uh, the next day, I, in, in, in my book, Deliberate Coaching, I call it the blame game. It's just this, just, it's a terrible cycle. So I said a whole bunch of stuff there, man. I don't know if you have some questions uh, for anything I've said so far.
0: Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts. Direct instruction, um, I did a research paper for a think tank, and it was around explicit instruction, which is the same, same, um, same concept, just different words and how powerful explicit instruction is because education has gone through these phases of letting kids play or experiential learning which is a much longer path to get to actually learning something i really like that you said it's not just how you teach but it's actually what you teach that enables the students to build their own learning and achieve at a faster rate because whatever we can do to save time for kids to move on to more important learning is so critical so I just wanted to comment on that, that I, I agree. And it was great to hear you talk about that. Yeah.
1: And you and mentioned at the it very beginning. It. Oh, sorry about that, Craig. Yeah.
0: You mentioned at the beginning I... about you can tell leadership by the behavior of the followers. So what I wanted to ask was, what are some of the behaviors of followers that you would expect to see when there are good and strong leaders?
1: Oh, yeah. So I would expect them. So here's a couple of measures. Uh, so as a leader, you can. Kind of self-monitor. Are people uh, admitting mistakes? Are they coming to you for feedback, like recruiting feedback from, from you? Um, you know, in, in are they asking questions? Um, are they uh, are they uh, are they recognizing other people? That's a measure, like you know, like hey, this guy's doing great, or this gal's doing a great job here. Those are all like you know, because it kind of becomes a, a, a culture. Um, are they making suggestions or when they're in your presence, do they get quiet? Do they, uh, you know, do, you know, what, are they smiling? Are they not smiling? These are all simple, you know, things that they could be like leading indicators of uh, how people are feeling. You know, one of the issues um, I'm big on social validity and that would be like, say climate surveys. And in, in, in the schools I went in, it, it's crazy, Craig, they're, they're giving out these climate surveys at the end of the year. And and what I was—that's akin to an autopsy. It's too late. What are you going to do with that, right? And so the but the problem is that district in our, you know, I don't know what it's called over there, but we have a district, and so a superintendent, and they're like the head of the whole district, school board, and then there's principals under them, and there's probably directors on superintendent, and then principals, assistant principals, teachers. So. Those climate surveys, those metrics, should be used as a coaching tool. Here's what you're doing well. Here's some areas for us to focus on. And if everybody used positive reinforcement and help people, if we had good metrics in place, and we use those not to torture people, to help them become better so they're not afraid of metrics because people are afraid to be looked at. Why? Because there's a history yes. of people using that data to show them that they're not doing the right thing.
0: Yes. Agree with you. I think that's really quite powerful, Dr. Pawley, about using the climate surveys as a formative tool along through the year to coach and improve, and also for the leader to identify what am I doing or not doing, which is not enabling my follower, my staff, my team to grow in these behaviors that you've just talked about, like peer recognition or giving suggestions, because that would be powerful.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's. You know, any, any of your leaders, inspire, inspiring leaders that are coming in here, if, even if your school doesn't do it, the district or whatever you guys call those out there, um, do it for yourself. Just put out a little survey. if so You can go follow I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, I think I, I have an article up there that gives some key questions to ask in there. Find out how you're doing. Tell me. I, you know, ask, ask for feedback so you can adjust what you're doing. because. If you know literally, if you want your job to become easier, then you want people to <laughs> respect you as a leader and want to do things for you and want to engage and there's simple things to do like you know goal set with them don't do things to people do things with people and people you know again they just don't understand they if if somebody had a good role model for leader and not only a good role model but that leader was a good coach because coaching is a different behavior like good leaders there there's there's uh, just because you have the title of a leader doesn't mean that you're leading just because you have a title mm-hmm. manager doesn't mean you're managing a trainer doesn't mean you're training a coach doesn't mean you're coaching and so because they all serve different functions Le- leadership in my opinion is about inspiration getting people to go above and beyond right managing is about promoting self-accountability uh, training is about skill acquisition right somebody could be training and people aren't learning skills well you're not really training are you you know you might have the title of a trainer and coaching is about supporting the transference of those skills into the natural environment. So we need somebody to have the skills. And so a leader probably can wear any of those hats. Or somebody who is a teacher can also be wearing any of those hats. Not about title. Not about title at all. It's about the function of your behavior and the purpose and how you know how is it functioning. And so, you know, there's emerging leaders and and many of these teachers are amazing. You know, they are. I I think a teacher is worth their weight in gold. And I think like everybody else in that school, including the school leader, should be the supporting cast and they should give everything that teacher needs to support them, give them the skills, the coaching that they need, the resources that that they need, everything they need to be successful. And uh, we we need to throw them in there with those tools to begin with, not throw them in the cage. And they take a beating and try to bring out the best. It's too late then. It's too difficult for that to happen then.
0: Are you still supervising dissertations at the university?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not very good at it. I don't think, <laughs> you know, like, you know, methodology is not my thing. i you know, like, obviously I, I love leadership and those pieces of it, but like the methodology, I never, I've done a little bit of research. I mean, I, I've, I've written a lot. I mean, I've probably written over a million words in just that it's published, not to mention what I've done, you know, between the four books that, that I've written. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I help out where I can, you know, in those pieces, but the methodology, like the actual research—it's not my thing. I'm not an academic at all, and I respect those guys. They inform, you know, they inform the rest of us in my field. I consider myself more like a disseminator, like a behavioral ambassador. I speak in a way that's palatable to people so they can understand something that's complex. I, I break it down to being mm. kind of kind of simple. Yeah. Hmm.
0: For someone who's an aspiring leader, which of your books would you say is the best one to pick up? to to build some new experiences and learnings into their growth
1: wow so this is going to sound very self-serving and anybody's listening i make like five cents on a book like there's no money in making (laughs) a book each book has its own special thing so uh um quick wins is about like if you're a new leader coming into a school taking over Mm. positions like you need to really capture, uh, uh, you, you want to capture the attention of people. You want to get them in touch with success pretty quickly because that pairs you with positive reinforcement. So it's called quick wins, accelerating school transformation through science, engagement, leadership. And if you ask people to do things that are too difficult, too challenging, if you don't, don't involve them in the process, they're not going to like you very much. And they're not going to, they're not going to give you their best. So it's about getting the best set of people by finding quick wins. And it gives you like a little bit of the science behind that leadership. Um, deliberate coaching is for like, every leader should know how to coach because like, you know, who's directly below you. And it should be like cascading coaching. You want to teach those people how to coach the teachers and the teachers need to learn how to coach the students. So understanding that coaching again, is it, if you've got to train people, but co- coaching where it's at people, you have teachers and leaders that go to professional development. They walk back into the classroom or the school and there's zero transfer into schools. There's a, there's a exactly. famous research, but by, by Joyce and showers, 2002, if you just Google it and click the images, you'll see the box of it. If, uh, if they're just given theory 0% transfer, if they're giving theory and modeling 0% transfer, if they're giving uh, theory modeling and rehearsal with feedback, this is good. You get more knowledge. You get about – while the other ones build like 5 to 10% in knowledge and, and skills uh, that, that still don't transfer, uh, you get a, about a 60% transfer of knowledge and skills, but still only about a 5 to 10% transfer of those skills into the, uh, the school, the classroom. The, the, the way it transferred was coaching. And it doesn't have to be deep coaching. And there's a science behind that. I talk about that in deliberate coaching, like the simple. It's not like you're standing over there, somebody do something – there's very simple things that can happen because what we need to do is a training is not about, I'm in the business of developing habits. When you go to training, you're learning about something's anti strategy and it might sense to you even if you get rehearsal and feedback, but now you've got to take that thing, bring it back into the natural environment, do it successfully and you have to see that successful. It's got to be reinforcing for you to do it. And as you do, it, it's hard changing habits. We've all had the change habits that change is difficult so you have to engage it long enough and successfully enough so you're getting in touch with enough reinforcement so like you know what this is the way i do business so that's what deliberate coaching is about and um my and by the way that 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 was a bestseller and we just published something called behavioral karma the five scientific laws of life and leadership and really just explaining to anybody who wants to make a difference in their life or the lives of others this is the very simple science for doing it. So if you're a school leader, if you're a household leader, or if you're just leading your own life, it's for, for you, you know, or and managing your own life. So we, we talk about the difference between leading, managing, and like how to use some very simple principles, scientific principles to, uh, you know, to, to bring out the best in yourself and others.
0: It's Fascinating. What I'll make sure is in the, the, the description in the show notes, we have links to your books and to your podcast as well, and your LinkedIn to make sure people can get hold of you. Just in the last couple of minutes we have left, if someone is an aspiring leader and they're looking to build in some skills or experiences to really set them on the right path to make the biggest impact, what would you suggest that they do?
1: Well, there's a couple of them beyond reading, you know, whether it's my books or like some stuff in the science of human behavior, because a lot of the leadership books tell good stories and they're good anecdotal stories. But it's important to understand the function of behavior, like why it occurs. If you don't understand what's at the root of behavior, it's hard to make the right des- problem solve and make the right decisions. For example, uh, the performance diagnostics. If somebody's not performing well, before you intervene, you need to know why. And there's two general reasons why: it's either it can't do or won't do, and both require a different approach. If they can't do it, well, putting the whip on them is not going to work, or setting up, you know, powerful reinforcers is not going to work. If it won't do, part of it, you have to look at why it won't do it, and and that also requires maybe self-reflection, you know, because sometimes it's like they're not being observed enough, they're not getting enough feedback, or a lot of the feedback is, you know, uh, negative as as opposed to positive, or we're asking them to do too many things at once, and they haven't created those habits yet, so uh, I think, you know, understanding a little bit about the science of human behavior would be very helpful, finding exemplars but it's not enough just to find an exemplar. You have, to, you have to be able to s- discriminate what they're doing because you might you and I can look at the same thing and we're picking up the wrong behavior. We think that, like correlation, not causation, we think they're being successful because of this behavior, but we're not seeing all the other things that they're doing to help them to be successful. So if they can not only have an exemplar, but find somebody that can really be a coach for them, somebody that they can recruit feedback from, uh, you know that would be extremely, extremely helpful. So you know, just like you know, having that person that can mentor them uh, is is a huge. But they're they're difficult to find. It's hard to find good leaders. Mm. You know, the exceptional leaders, just by definition, they're they're an exception.
0: Mm. That's really powerful, hey, Dr. Pauli. I really want to thank you for your time. I know you're really busy, but thank you for your contribution. And um, we will make sure that we have all the links so people can connect with you individually. And uh, we'll definitely have the link to your book. And I personally, I'm going to get a hold of um, Behavioral Karma. It's going to be my win for today is getting a hold of that. So thank you so much. That's for awesome.
1: Yeah. And if you can, I would love for people to follow uh, you know, check out Adapting to a Changing World, my podcast. It would be great uh, to get some uh, listeners from, from over New Zealand. It'd be an honor
0: absolutely i'll be subscribing myself thank you craig have a great evening
1: thank you brother that was awesome man good night take care now